Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, we concentrate on the global economy. The Eurozone, of course, has dominated the headlines for months. But what of the other two key poles of the global economy, the US and China, respectively the world's largest and second largest economies? The US is, by all accounts, still struggling to pick up growth, and China's been slowing for some months. But what are their further prospects? Joining me on the line from Washington to discuss the American economy is James Politi. Now, James, uh, there's obviously an, an election coming up. The the old cliche is, it's the economy, stupid. So how does the economy feel going into this uh, election? Economy feels weak. Um, I think there's a very good chance that President Obama will be the first incumbent since FDR to face unemployment above uh, 7.4% on election day. And things have been gradually getting better, but they were looking a lot better a few months ago. Job creation has slowed significantly in the last few months, and the decline in the unemployment rate has essentially stalled, and it's now at 8.2%. And you also have had some discouraging uh, manufacturing figures just this week, I gather. Yeah, manufacturing used to be one of the bright spots of the recovery, and to a certain extent still is, but we had a very weak ISM survey, which showed that the manufacturing sector was shrinking for the first time since July of 2009. That was the first month of the official recovery. And I think that's very dispiriting news for the industrial sector. What's going on? Is that weakness uh, from America's export markets from the Eurozone? Part of it definitely is. There was a significant drop in new export orders, which signals that um, really you're starting to see some contagion from the slowdown in China and India and also, obviously, the, the crisis in the Eurozone. How about the homegrown sources of, of economic woe? Because, obviously, all this started with the, the house price slump. Has America begun to get to the bottom of that and, and to sense that the debt problems related to that are finally working their way out of the system? It looks like, to a certain extent, they are. There was, um, obviously, a huge dip in house prices you know, in the first phases of the last recession, and then there was a recovery, and then there was a second dip in home prices, which now finally seems to be ending. And we're starting to see signs of life, really, in the housing market. Um, there has been some small appreciation in house prices the last few months, and also a rebound in new home sales and construction spending. So that's one area which seems to be doing quite well even though you're starting from a really depressed level. And what's the public mood like? Do people feel depressed along with a depressed economy, or is there kind of hope that things are picking up? Well, confidence has taken a dive the last few months, but I think people are still feeling a little bit better than they were during the depths of the recession. So clearly people aren't feeling great, but they can sort of see things improving. So... um 
as the Obama team and the White House look ahead to the election, presumably they're going to try and fine tune things as much as possible so as to pretty everything up for November. Um, how do you see that affecting economic policy in the next uh, weeks and months? Well, they're going to, they can try as hard as they can, but um, effectively fiscal policy is on ice because the Republicans are um, adamant on, on blocking all of the proposals, really, that are coming out of the White House in terms of new short-term stimulus to, to the economy. Um, and um, so the White House really is, is hamstrung at the moment. Um, they can't do too much, and in a way they have to rely on the Fed to... Uh, do whatever they can if, if conditions get worse. And the Fed did extend Operation Twist at the end of last month through the end of the year. That is buying long-term securities while selling short-term securities in order to, uh, to lower long-term interest rates. But they could do more. They could do a new round of quantitative e- easing, which would be you know, much more aggressive loosening the monetary policy. That was James Polisi in Washington. And now to Beijing, where they have a different sort of economic problem. Having got used to runaway growth for many years, the Chinese are now having to get used to a slightly slower economy and are trying new ways of stimulating domestic demand. Joining me on the line from Beijing is Jamil Andalini, our bureau chief there. So, Jamil, I mean, from a long way away, of course, we're all very preoccupied with the Eurozone here in, in, in London, but we get the impression that the Chinese economy is slowing. Is that how it feels over there? Oh, it's definitely slowing. We've had uh, six quarters now of uh, of slowing GDP growth. And uh, in the last few months, there's been very clear signs of a, of a slightly steeper drop in, in most indicators and in most growth indicators. So right now, it looks like the government in China, well, definitely the government in China after uh, about three years of tightening monetary policy and trying to slow everything down is now starting to try and stimulate again. They've just cut interest rates for the first time in three years and they're clearly, they've approved a whole lot more infrastructure investments through their central planning agency, which they still utilize. And so, so things are definitely, have definitely turned and they're definitely trying to uh, start to pump pump everything back up again. Now, is this just a question of kind of managing an economy that's basically doing pretty well, or is there a sort of deeper concern that uh, that there are all sorts of quite serious imbalances? I mean, how, how worried do you think the government is? I think they're quite worried. I think what, what they're seeing is pretty much the end of all the uh, easy catch-up rises in productivity and, and catching up with the... With the rest of the world. I mean, China 30 years ago started from absolute poverty, uh, everyone working on a commune and uh, all of the land collectivized and extreme, you know, extreme poverty and extreme inefficiency in the economy. And over the last 30 years, the Chinese economic miracle has been catching up with the rest of the world, really. They've, they've kind of, the state has gradually extracted itself from the economy and allowed people to get on with making money and becoming more productive. But the limit of that catch-up model are starting to be reached. So China can no longer expect 20 30% increases in exports every year, which it's had over the last decade. It can't expect to keep building masses of uh, commercial real estate, residential real estate that people are going to sink their life savings into because prices in real estate are too high for most people. And uh, they've already built a huge 
shed load of, uh, of real estate. So, I mean, the two main drivers, particularly over the last decade of the Chinese economy, have been, have been that, uh, exports and new investment for new factories for export and, uh, and residential real estate. But both of those two drivers are, are pretty much sputtering at the moment. And you can see the Chinese government looking for other, uh, other ways to, to try and pump up the economy. They're trying to improve the social safety net and they're really trying to shift the, the growth model to a more consumption-oriented model and one where Chinese consumers will, will come into their own and start buying a whole lot of stuff. And ideally, they'd buy a lot of services so that the environment doesn't get completely ruined. Can you finally just explain something that's always slightly baffled me? I mean, that, that uh, on the one hand, I read lots of stories, perhaps some by you, uh, about graduate unemployment, that graduates coming out of Chinese universities are finding it difficult to get jobs. And yet we also hear that the supply of labour, that of cheap labour that kept China super competitive as a manufacturer, uh, that that's coming to an end, which always slightly surprised me in a country of 1.3 billion people that they could that they could exhaust that supply of, of, of cheap labour. I know they're, they're, they're not the same phenomenon, but could you just give us a sense of the labour market, both for the the graduates who are allegedly struggling to find jobs and in the in the factories of southern china is is it really the case that they can't find the cheap labor of old well they can't find the cheap labor at the really really cheap prices so what's what's happening is that people in the countryside actually over the last decade their lives have got a bit better the cost of vegetables has gone up they can sell their vegetables for more and, and pork prices have gone up they can sell their pork for more so they're less willing to go to a grimy sweatshop in South China and work for a pittance and have their fingers chopped off and not compensated. Do you see what I mean? So, so the, the, what's happening is really um, the average Chinese person is less willing to work in a sweatshop. At the same time, the universities about uh, about a decade ago, they doubled the intake of, uh, of students for the university. It was a, it was a specific... Uh, government policy that, that actually intended to double the number of university graduates over a very short period. So what happened is you have the same amount of jobs, you've got the same, uh, same amount of sort of high-end jobs, but you've got double the number of people trying to go for them over the last um, half a decade as they started to graduate. So you have this weird split in the, in the Chinese economy of far too many university graduates who really don't have that many marketable skills and are not hugely employable and also there's not enough jobs at the at the sort of high end and then you at the other end you have you know lots and lots of dirty factory jobs where but but not enough people because living standards have raised in the countryside where all this labor was coming out of um those people aren't so willing to do it Jamil, thanks very much indeed. That was Jamil Andalini in Beijing. My thanks to him and to James Politi in Washington, to Martin Starbe in the studio here in London. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.